0: Instead of this month's episodes being sponsored by a great company giving you something as a thank you for listening I wanted to announce something special Ignition is releasing a clothing line This clothing line is something that we've been working on for quite a while now And behind the scenes been figuring out how could we give back And the way we want to give back is give designers 30% of everything that's sold So if you buy a t-shirt, 30% of the profits from that t-shirt will go directly to the artist It's just a way for us to Show the great and amazing talent that is in the automotive and motorsport world. And that means, if you do have a design or an idea for a clothing line, give us a message. Email me at harry at ignitionpod.com. That's harry at ignitionpod.com. I'd love to have a chat. But anyway, back to the episode. Oh, and before you go, podcast listeners get 15% off. So check the show notes below for that code for you.
1: I'm going to say things that have always annoyed me when other people have said them to me, but they're actually true like they're cliches because they work when you look at the automotive publishing industry it's it seems almost impenetrable to get into it either you need to spend a lot of time doing unpaid internships or work experience and things like that and i didn't really have the resources Uh, people knew who i was because i was on twitter it was more interesting back then (laughs) Um, uh, but i was able to use that to get myself known and, and, and to be a distinctive voice amongst lots of voices it was quite um an equalizing field but the idea that you could get paid for writing about cars uh, so i'd i'd like cars since i was little, i'd enjoyed writing since i was little and, and and to be able to marry those two up um suddenly just struck me as a as a brilliant idea
0: but i mean what, what would you say is, is your style and how would you grab people's attention i like to be as naughty as i can
1: uh, i like to, to write jokes in there so so for, for me communicating through humor that's is is a very important part of, of my style but for me twitter i think i really enjoyed the challenge of uh, that was back when you could only write in, in 140 characters so the challenge yeah. of trying to be funny or trying to put a point across or anything within within that tight um space that was it was just it was useful training i guess for writing when i was young i used to genuinely lie awake at night worrying about the top gear because
0: i wanted to start off this episode in a different way we were thanks to you guys listening in the top 10 percent of podcasts most shared globally which is so impressive and means so much to me still i want to set you a challenge of getting into that top 1 so if you have ever enjoyed an episode or thought that the message from a guest was worth sharing please send that episode to your friends if you know someone that loves cars and is looking to get into the industry or change careers help give them some inspiration and speaking of inspiration Let's see what we've got today. Uh, Sam, uh, welcome to the podcast. Um, So a little question I'm going to start off with is, what's ignited your passion for cars? Uh,
1: That's a very interesting question. Um, I was thinking about this the other day, actually. I don't think I necessarily have the sort of same passion, I mean, as as other people do. I think for me, my earliest memories of enjoying cars are going to the Birmingham Motor Show with my dad. We lived in Coventry. Uh, down the road. So we'd go on the train uh, to the motor show and I would come back with bags and bags of, um, of, of brochures and free crap. And I used to spend my Saturdays uh, going through the brochures and, um, I just, I've got very distinct memories of appreciating really bizarre things like the, um, uh, like the car phone that would come in a, in, in a Volvo 760 or, yeah. um, I as I, re- I had a, a vague dream when I was seven or eight of, of having a, a Leyland Daff minibus with coach seats and I was gonna um drive up and down the motorway. I I didn't yeah. I d I didn't know what that career was going to involve. Um but I loved the the uh, maybe it's the the lifestyles that were in the brochures uh, that I really appreciated. I don't know. Um these days it's all windsurfing and, and active lifestyles. Back then it was a bit moodier and and more exotic.
0: Yeah, and so so outside of then outside of cars, like um what are the early influences that like if I was to understand who you are today, what would I have to know about your upbringing and stuff like school to understand who you are now? Oh, another interesting question. Um, I don't
1: know. School is a sort of blur for me. My memory of, of just anything is, is very, uh, is very bad, but I've always enjoyed um, learning new things. I love, but mostly trivia. Um, I was a very bad student. I imagine uh, because I didn't have any, Desire to learn all the boring things they try and teach us in school. Uh, so I've always enjoyed useless facts. Um, that probably would tell you a lot about uh, about me today. Yeah. Uh, and I've always I've always read loads since I was a kid. Uh, I love I love reading books. Um,
0: yeah, I guess that's yeah. That takes me good. up to <laughs>
1: that takes me up to now.
0: So you you quite, quite detailed detail oriented. Then is the little things and the small details that you quite like? Is is that something that you like? Kind of latched onto as a kid was was obviously the details you do enjoy you quite focus on is that something that uh, you would think so
1: but no i'm not very details oriented at all um i have a very uh scattered brain so i think i think i, I enjoy um i enjoy a breadth. i guess i've hidden shallows is one of the things i often say to people uh people think i'm a
0: um a thinker but i'm really not so i just i like to take in lots of different things yeah and so, so, when, it, so when it came to sort of like picking a career and going through that. like, What was your sort of advice that was given to you? Or do you remember anything that in particular was, was it interesting when you came to getting a job and, and entering the big world of adulthood?
1: It's an increasingly long time ago now. But if I think back, I didn't really get much advice for uh, going into, into any sort of career. I remember doing the um, quizzes at school. Um, computers mm. were just being invented. And I came out as um, that I should be a politician or a journalist or something like that, or a TV producer. So I set my mind on being a TV producer because that sounded very cool. Um, And then I saw how difficult it is to become a TV producer. I gave up very quickly. Um, But I've just sort of probably bumbled along. I'm not very strategic when it comes to any sort of career move. So it wasn't until I got to the end of university that I really considered the idea that you could get paid writing about cars Uh, so i'd i'd like cars since i was i'd enjoyed writing since i was little and 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 to be able to marry those two up um suddenly just struck me as a as a brilliant idea and the only way i really got into it i guess was because the automotive journalism master's course had just been started at coventry university Mm. and um i just that was just the next thing that i set my um set my eye on i tried a bit of politics i worked in westminster for a few years but it was too fast-paced for me um, and you've got to concentrate really hard to keep up with everything so uh, that wasn't it wasn't um, ideal and so I ended up doing the the master's course at Coventry University and that was a a good way into the industry there are lots of different ways that people can can get into it but for me that that, that worked uh, it was a good grounding in the basics of journalism and um, there were placements during the year that we were, we were supposed to organize and that was how I got people to um, remember my name I suppose uh, there were people that I did placements with that year and they uh, ended up recommending me for 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 jobs later on, which was uh, very fortunate for me. Yeah.
0: And so what were your like, I don't know, your parents' opinion of, of your career, did they they did give you much advice? Do you remember them having an impact in it at all? Or is it because what did they do for a living?
1: My dad,
0: uh,
1: he when I was growing up, he worked for a children's charity, but now he is a videographer and my mum is a mental health nurse. So <laughs> there, there was no um particular sort of shoving in any direction from them um maybe a bit of helicopter parenting or a bit more strict guidance would have got me somewhere better i don't know um but i'm, I'm entirely happy where i am uh, today so i can thank them for their hands off approach
0: yeah so, so when it came to like i don't know after that university and masters like cuz for me i don't went to uni so i kind of just did a bunch of jobs like i just i've, I've kind of worked in various pubs and restaurants. I've done little things here and there. So like for me, I kind of missed out on university. So I've always wondered like for you, like what did university give you? Like what did it equip you with and stuff in terms of like entering again, entering like that point where you go like now I'm an adult and I've done uni got a master's. Like what was that like after that? And like going to employers and stuff.
1: I hadn't really given much thought about whether to go to university or not. So the school I went to, it was just the sort of thing that you did. Mm. Um, and it's just another thing that when I was young, I used to genuinely lie awake at night worrying about the fact that they weren't teaching you in school how to pay your gas bills or how to get a job or anything like that. So we were being taught all these I don't know, useless things about the cosmos or um, ancient history. But for me, I, I I genuinely worried about these practical things in life like paying bills. And so I guess going to university put some of those things off uh, for a little bit longer. Um, but when it came to um, after that, again, I was just a bit um a bit sort of not lost, um, but I guess just moving sort of like stepping stones uh, rather than on a on a on a grand path. Um, so it wasn't until I got to the end of the masters that I started panic and 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 think about what I should do and uh, fortunately, because the masters in Coventry my parents living there, I was able to um, just live with them uh, for a little bit longer and I've had many jobs in my life, but one of them was selling kitchens in IKEA. Uh, and that kept me going for about 18 months while I developed a bit of a sort of nascent freelance career. And then I got a, a proper job down in London working on a on a magazine. Yeah. And that set me in the right direction.
0: And so, and so when did it come into the time where you, obviously you had that idea about writing with cars and at a university? So when did it, was that the first thing you looked for when you left university? Was that the first thing you looked to do? Or was it a, a, a sort of like a slow sort of turn right into the career path?
1: No, it was, very, it was very slow. When I um, was coming up to leaving university, there were three things I basically wanted to do was work in parliament. I wanted to run for the students' union uh, at, at university, and then I, um, I wanted to do the, the the automated master's. I ended up doing all three, um, so I was basically ancient by the time I, I finished the master's. And, um I guess people who had gone straight into the in, into work after they'd left university, or maybe the people who hadn't done degrees, they already had sort of five six years of uh, a, a advantage on me. So it wasn't a, a brilliant strategic approach. I wouldn't recommend any of of what I've done to anybody else. Maybe use it as a what not to do example.
0: Yeah. Um, but I'll, yeah, got there eventually. No, it's brilliant. It's like it's interesting because like it was. I mean, did you just? Put off, you, did you put off going into the world of work because you didn't think you're ready? or So what was the point of doing three masters? Like for you, what was the uh, the thought process at the time?
1: Uh, Sorry, what was it? Three masters. I mean, I've done one masters.
0: Oh, sorry. was it So the masters you did in automotive, was that?
1: Yeah, so that was a master's in automotive journalism. And then I, I ran for student juniors. So I was student union president for two years. And then I worked in parliament and then I did the master's
0: oh okay yeah so someone so, what was the thought process behind that then i guess it was with the, the masters was it to give you a like for you what was the the advantage of doing a master's in, in that
1: i think when you look at the automotive publishing industry it's it seems almost impenetrable um and to get into it either you need to spend a lot of time doing unpaid internships or work experience and things like that and i didn't really have either the the resources or the Um, I don't know. I'm very lazy. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a a better word than that. Um, So for me, the the Automotive Masters was just an obvious way into the industry. It was a good entry point. Uh, It was credible. And I knew lots of people. I could see lots of people um, in the industry who had done that course. So as a guy called John Quirk, I used to to work for um, Motor One down in in Richmond. And he, he was one of the first People to do the course. Uh, my editor at Top Gear now, Jack Ricks. He was—he's he's one of the people who's done the course. So there, there are lots of people sort of seeded around uh, automotive journalism who have done that course and they've gone on to interesting things. So for me, it just seemed like a, it was a good entry point when I couldn't see any other obvious
0: ones. Yeah. So, so was it hard getting into Motor One? Then was that like a was like a big thing getting getting into f- for yourself?
1: Um. So my very first job was at the Driving Instructors Association down in, in Croydon, um, and that was one of the things that I found useful about the automotive masters is that it opened my eyes to a side of the industry that I didn't necessarily know was there. For me, automotive publishing was as much as you saw in WH Smith, so it was Auto Car, Car Magazine, or Top Gear, any of those sorts of yeah. sorts of things, and and um, I was able to see that there was much more sort of B2B um, publishing um, so it's not just focused at, commun- uh, at consumers, but at, at things that are aimed at more specialist audiences and that, so the first part of my career was very much focused on those sorts of outlets. So I started off at the driving instructors association, writing for driving instructors, and I ended up writing, uh, editing, a, a a magazine about engines for, for, um, the people who make and design engines. I know nothing about engines, but I managed to bluff my way uh, for a little while through that, um. So uh, yeah, I was, I was very appreciative of of of, of how it opened up um, more of the industry uh, to me. Motor One was probably the easiest job I've got because um, Alex Goy, who you've spoken to before, and Trunkwork were were had got their heads together and and, and they were um, going to be starting this project um, uh, of, of of putting together a new a new car website in the UK, and they they, yeah. they thought of me. They thought of me and got in touch, and we met at a pub in Clapham. And they said, "Would you like to come and work for us?" And I said, "That sounds delightful," and so I did. Um, It's not ever normally like that, but it was. That was a lovely, a lovely thing to happen.
0: Yeah. So, was it nice being recognised and the work you've done? Because
1: that's an interesting thing. I think um, it's. I don't know if I've.
0: Yeah, is I mean it's
1: very nice. So my first my first job at the DIA, I got that uh, people knew who I was because I was on Twitter. Um and that's when Twitter was it was more interesting back then. Um but it, I was able to use that to get myself known and, and and to be a distinctive voice amongst um amongst lots of voices. It was quite um an, an equalizing field back then. I think nowadays it's it's very much not um you have to have built up your your, your clout and your influence over, over many years, or you have to be well-known to get followers. Whereas back when Twitter first started, it was very much more equal and I was able to um, stand out a bit more. And that's how I got my name first known. But about being recognized for your work, I don't know if that's anything anyone ever feels uh, like that. I'm sure there'll, there'll, there'll be people who got Oscars last, uh, last the other weekend who will be feeling that they're being overlooked for for whatever reason, or they'll be worrying that they're not going to work again
0: yeah so that's the thing like i guess it's it's weird because i'm listening to sort of like the progression you've had so far and it's it's interesting to see like so did you ever have a plan or was this just going with what felt right at the time
1: no literally i've 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 never I've never had a plan i'm not patient enough to follow a plan um and i'm not strategic enough either um so i've just ended up splitting sounds terrible but i've i've um i've gone from place to place and, and i've taken opportunities as they arise um but no not at all strategic no i, probably, no, I, I, I could be more strategic um but that again would require a lot of effort
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a fair enough at least i guess an easy easy life is, is something that i guess if you want why not exactly like if you can do what you love talk about cars and and do that one and why not so when so why twitter then why was it just an outlet for you to write for free and then you could just i'm just interested in why why twitter of all all the platforms
1: well i started um it was well it was one of the only platforms lots of things have been invented since i was i mean i joined twitter in 2008 2009 it was a very long time ago but i'd been blogging since the early 2000s and that was a way that i'd got myself um known within a within a certain area i guess um and i i really i i i I enjoy writing for writing's sake so um also i think when you get to a, a certain point there are all journalists i guess we we love the sound of our own voices um either spoken or in print so um to get paid for it is brilliant but don't tell anybody but i would also do it for free um give away gold on twitter or whatever else i might do but for me, Twitter. I think I really enjoyed the challenge of uh, that was back when you could only write in, in 140 characters. So the challenge yeah. of trying to be funny or trying to put a point across or anything within within that tight um, space. That was it was just it was useful training, I guess, for writing. Mm-hmm. It was one of the things I was discussing with my. Um, so I work on the production desk at Top Gear. I was discussing with my boss the other day how um, for me the um, what makes a good writer is not necessarily being able to write uh, and write lots because anybody can write loads of words but when you're writing down to a very strict word limit um or when you're being um uh, economical yeah. and and yeah uh, r- writing writing to word count or writing to um a tiny amount of words and there's, there's a real skill in that i think so some of the most challenging things are, are the little sort of nibs uh, we call them it's sort of news and brief so when you get sort of 20 words um down a little column trying to come up with things like that when you're trying to get uh, the the juice of a, a a news story or trying to get a very particular point across then to me that's the real challenge of of writing and what makes people good or not um but then you you know every writer has a production desk to chop and change and make them sound better so it's not it's not too much of an issue
0: yeah, so it was, what is the other challenges that I guess you've you guess looking back have helped you become the writer you are today? And I'm interested in thinking of people that, that might be wanting to start journalism. Like for them, what would you say is, is a good way to get started and a good way to like, hone your skills in?
1: I'm gonna say things that have always annoyed me when other people have said them to me, but they're actually true. Like they're cliches because they work. And I think you have to read. And I, but more than reading, I think you have to um, be able to look at something and understand why it is the way it is. So why does the Times write in a different way to the to the Mirror or the Daily Mail, just the, the, the choices of words that they use. Um, uh, it, it's another mark of, of of writers the way that you can change between styles. And obviously uh, a news article is different to a feature, a web story is different to a, a magazine article, but then you've got different... Um, outlets and they have very different styles so being able to understand why they write the way they do and why it works and why it doesn't that's really really useful and I often see people coming into the industry and they don't necessarily know how to structure a new story or or why it works the way it does Mm. and there are very particular rules to to how you um, put stories together or how you put news together Um, so being able to understand that uh, innate structure is, is, is quite useful it's quite important. So reading things and being able to, to understand, I think it's important to have your own voice. Uh, there was for a long time, a rush of people coming into the industry and all they wanted to do was write like Jeremy Clarkson. And um, it's, it's it's a fine, uh, noble goal uh, to want to write like Jeremy Clarkson, but he writes the way he does because he's been doing it for 30, 40 years. Yeah. And he's got such a, a, a depth of experience and a well of knowledge to draw from. And he... He is a, a a polemicist. He likes to wind people up. But when he makes an argument, he can always back it up and he knows why he said what he said. And people come and they want to write like him, but they don't have the well of experience and they don't have the ability to back up what they've said. They just want to have strong opinions. Mm. Um I think thankfully we're past that era now. But um I think it's it's easy to want to 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 come along and and, and be exactly like someone you like reading. Um but again, it's about being able to analyze what it is that they do that you like and how you can replicate that in your own voice and it's um it's important to practice um practice writing practice writing in your voice and and find out what you want to say um I know lots of different journalists and and some people are very passionate about electric vehicles some are passionate about historic vehicles and, and all those different things and they find the outlets that that allow them to express what it is they like about those about those things
0: yeah no, it's, it's it's weird i i mean I'm trying to see how this could apply to, I guess, because I, I don't read a lot of, I won't, I, this is going to sound like I don't like cars, but I don't read a lot of car articles purely because I have a dislike for reading. Yeah, it's just one of those things. Um, I, I I don't know, I, I don't have the attention span for it and when I've tried it, it doesn't doesn't seem to work and that's why I get most of my information from like TikTok Reels and YouTube because it's convenient and it's more and it's easy. But I mean, what, what would you say is, is your style and how would you grab people's attention? Because that's something I'm interested in is, is how the two work together. Because if you're talking about writing in a style and maybe because because it's written, you have to keep people interested. How how do you do that? And how have you, how have you developed that?
1: That's um, another very challenging question. And having said that, you should understand how different people's styles work. And, <laughs> and I, do. I don't know if I'm even capable of analysing my own. Um I um I guess I use a lot of what um so Jack he calls the the sort of top gear humor, he calls it tone. So uh, often um part of my job on the production desk is to, to come up with um photo captions or or things like that. So it's part of the part of the, the production desk job is to come up with the architecture of, of the page, the so headlines and and stand yeah. first. and 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 so that adds to the atmosphere of the magazine. If someone's provided you the feature copy. Um and, and you have to add a bit of atmosphere so part of my my job is to add tone to the magazine so I like to um, I like to be as naughty as I can uh, I like to to write jokes yeah um, in there so so for, for me communicating through humor that's is, is a very important part of, of my style um, but again it has to be deployed appropriately it doesn't always work in a in in, in a tiny news story or um, yeah i guess for me maybe short sharp shocks maybe that's probably what i would uh, what i would go for i'm not um i was going to say i'm not a particularly waffly verbose person but all evidence of the country so far um yeah for me get straight to the point and 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 just take the
0: reader through it that, that, maybe that i hope that's my style maybe yeah. it's not no well i it, i guess it's it's saying for i guess if you look back at your articles now you're going to have to <laughs> put a different perspective on it but is, it, Anna, is this something, I guess, you just develop over time or is it something you like, where did you learn these things from? Like, was it just, is it just writing articles and, and having feedback from editors? Is that is that it or is there another way that you've learned how to develop this stuff?
1: I think, what do I think? Not a very good question. I think it is experience over time and it is, I think uh, feedback is very important for the technical side of things. And that's one thing you have to have. As a journalist and that's a i guess a thick skin in the right places you need to be able to take feedback and sometimes it's brutal and sometimes it's upsetting but i guess um when you work on a magazine or when you work on a website you have to understand that it's the it's a, it's a team effort it's a group effort mm. or it's um you know, when we produce top gear magazine it, it's a, a top gear magazine that we're that we're putting together so anything i put in there is part of a greater whole and um, I have to understand that I'm not in control necessarily of, of what I've written you sort of feed it into the the big machine and it comes out the other end um, and and somebody has a vision for that and sometimes what you've written doesn't align with that vision so you have to you have to accept that you're part of a of a, of a wider of a wider team and some writers can get very precious about their about their copy and and, and they have um, very slavishly and lovingly put in every bit of punctuation uh, in, in what they feel is the right place. But then you just have to accept that one person's semicolon uh, is another person's end dash and move on with your life. So I think that's very important is to, to, to hold on to these things lightly. Yeah, for me, it's, it's just practice and being allowed to experiment. And so for me, blogging and Twitter was, was very good at being able to work all those things out but I think in a in a really good um, work environment, then people are nurtured along and they mm. get uh, feedback as they go, and and that's very helpful.
0: Yeah, on well, speaking of work environment, then like, what do you? I guess when you when you walk through the doors or wherever, however you get to work, or you work from home or whatever it is nowadays, like that culture you speak of and that sort of environment, like how has that changed at all, or is it something that you think is is sort of like a a trademark, if you will, of Top Gear? what particular aspect i guess i'm talking about So, in terms of like that that feedback i guess is what i'm looking at so the, the way they the way they give feedback is that, is that changed at all or is it something that stands stands still
1: i it can, it can be very different depending where you work um depending how nice the people you're working with are top is the first big team i've worked on uh, i've worked in usually in in much smaller places um it also depends on the busyness if you are in deadline week then the feedback is going to be much shorter and um much um meaner i guess yeah um i think if you uh, i think it's the same stock here as it is anywhere i think if you if you if you ask for feedback at the right moment when people have time to read it um producing things in, in, in plenty of time. If you, if you want someone to sit down with you and take you through why something works and why it doesn't, then they are always uh, willing to just don't do it when there's a, when there's a deadline looming. Um, I, I think that's a, it's a good rule for, for any line of work that um, if you're being asked to do things and do them in plenty of time and everyone's much happier with you.
0: Yeah. yeah so like, so when you, so when it comes to like, you said, mentioned deadline day and, and, and the way it gets, because I, I'm just, I'm just interested in how Top Gear works. Just purely out of my own selfish interest. So it's it's the deadline days are almost like I guess it's like you're producing a piece of work, therefore you have to hit a deadline, and and that's pretty stressful. So like, how do you deal with that stress? How do you cope with those times? Because obviously, the two weeks, three weeks before, even two weeks before deadline day, like you you mentioned this offline, offline, it's kind of like a, a sort of like call it cool, relaxed atmosphere. So like, how do you deal with the constant ups and downs of people being in a good mood and having time? rather than having little, little time and, and being stressed. That makes sense.
1: I am uh, naturally myself a very relaxed and laid back person. And sometimes that can uh, infuriate uh, people who are less so many, my wife. Um, so for me, I stay obviously cool, calm, and collected all the way through the the, the print process. I think what's really important is to uh, ensure that people aren't lulled into a false sense of security in week one of your of your print run. So if you can encourage people uh, as best as possible, and some people respond to different uh, stimuli, uh, sometimes you have to be um, aggressive with people, and sometimes you just have to ask them nicely. And it's uh, it's just a, a matter of getting to know your colleagues and understanding what works best, but trying to things uh, in plenty of time is is very useful very important um i think it it ramps up it ramps up throughout the week so on on top gear we we've just last year we went from 13 issues to to 12 issues and 13 issues was a four-week run for every single issue but now we've got some issues that are, are over five weeks and that again is can be a more relaxed a more relaxed run but um I think it, it it ramps up it ramps up through those through those 4 or 5 weeks and I quite enjoyed the regularity of it. I've worked on on, on websites where it's just much more stressful because it's you don't get the the luxury of of, of 4 weeks to to lay things out and, and and see how they work or or um put thing different things together. That's just a constant stress. Um so that I didn't necessarily respond very well to um you get happy with something that you've done and then you can't enjoy it because you've got to focus on the next thing and um the internet is a it's a very hungry beast but i like the regularity of the of the magazine run um the, the way it does ramp up and then you, but you get to see something you've produced at, at the end of it i find that very satisfying but i think um that that sort of yeah that that, that ramping up of the stress is, is is all just part of the part of the fun mm. i think
0: yeah no cool and so we've talked a lot about sort of how it works but i mean, for you sam how did you get in there in the first place what was what is the there was it was there a, like obviously you, you mentioned opportunities earlier on so like what was the opportunity that came about that um a job at top gear or a opportunity to, to maybe walk through the doors in the first place it was it
1: Again, I think it was a bit different for me getting into top gear as well. Um, so I mentioned before I was at Motor One, which was a website that was it was a, it was a startup website in the UK um, uh, that was put together by the Motorsport Network. And uh, it started off, there was lots of uh, there was lots of money available for for investment. And then uh, not too far along the line, there was there was no money available for investment, and we found ourselves without uh, without work. And so after that. We'd gone from a, a very promising startup environment, which was, it was very stressful, but very fun. Um, and then suddenly um, there was, there was, there was, well, there was nothing. Uh, and so I, I, at that point, I felt quite disenchanted with, with publishing itself. And I thought I would make the, the inevitable leap into PR that uh, the automotive journalists all seem to make. And so I worked at the Society of Motion Manufacturers and Traders for, I can't remember, maybe two years. And it turns out I'm not very good at PR uh, either because it needs that um, that attention to detail and, and, and concentration. Uh, but it was it was very interesting to see the other side. It was very interesting to see a, a bit of inside the, the, the UK car industry. And I worked with some very good people there, but I still felt like I had unfinished business um, in automotive publishing, but no doors were opening up. And it, it just happened that um, Jack Ricks, Top Gear Editor, uh, he was deputy editor at, at that time he got in touch with me um on twitter again um that's to the world's problems not anymore he got in touch with me and he and he'd re- he remembered me from 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 years ago and and he had this particular opening and he said you know would you apply for this uh, and and so i did and I, I mean it's not the job wasn't offered to me on a plate i had to go through the the bbc machinations and it's a it's a baffling hr system um i think i very possibly can say that uh but eventually I, I i got that job i i i said goodbye to the p r world and, and i was um, able to to work at top gear magazine and it's not it wasn't orthodox way mm-hmm. in um but it was yeah again it was it was it was very nice to be uh to be thought of um to be to be to be brought on and um i get to combine lots of the things that i really love about putting magazines together so i work uh, on the production desk and i have a very um Pedantic side that I get to, I get to indulge in um, combing through people's copy and making sure that everything is is consistent and and, and done to our to a high standard. But I also get to contribute and uh, and have fun writing features or uh, car reviews uh, in the magazine. So it's for me, it's it's the best combination of work that I've done in my career so far. And I think Top Gear is a sort of place where once you're there, you cling on by your fingernails as long as possible uh, until they boot you out the door, uh, which I fully plan to do.
0: No, fair enough and i mean are you scared being booed out at all is that something that happens a lot or is it <laughs> no i don't think so um it'd be very tough they're revolving doors um
1: and as soon as you look at them they stop so it would be very difficult to get, for anybody to get you out of the door uh, at the bbc i don't i mean hopefully i won't get i won't get booted out um but yeah if i if i do i've had a i've had a lovely i've had a lovely run
0: yeah and so, so for like a young journalist coming to you what is a what is an unorthodox way to get your attention maybe or or for, to even look at even getting a, a chance at being featured in, in the magazine itself or even like getting a role in in any sort of journalistic approach for top gear well
1: i mean i'll be honest i'll be flattering myself if i had any influence over that process sometimes we we do put our heads together as a as a team um and we, we try and think about what new voices we could get in the magazine I think for me being nice is very important um there are it could always do with more nice people in 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 the automotive world so I think if you are polite uh, and respectful and you can um, make yourself known then that is is, is, is the way to get in um, in terms of being distinctive oh gosh I don't know um. I think one of the issues for for, for Top Gear is that we don't tend to recruit uh, on an entry level. So when, when people come to Top Gear, they've they've got experience elsewhere Mm -hmm. in the industry. We've had a couple of positions recently that were, um, that were entry level and they've come from, from various places. I I wasn't involved in those hiring decisions, so I couldn't tell you how they stood out, Um, but they're, they're great additions. But I think for, for Top Gear because they're normally more experienced people that come into the, uh, into the fold than they've 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 got their experience elsewhere but they've been brought in i guess by other people and i think it's an issue when you want to have a more diverse voice on uh in a a magazine is that um if you're looking for experienced people then you have to have what's there by default Mm -hmm. um so one of the things i would i would i would like to see more diverse voices in uk automotive publishing um how i can contribute to that i don't know but um I think being distinctive, um, being um, yeah, being being nice, uh, but being visible. I guess I don't. I this is awful of me, but I, I just couldn't tell you how to do that. Um, I don't know what the equivalent of of mounting um, off on Twitter is these days. Maybe it is being known through TikTok or um, making YouTube videos or it's having your own website or, or I don't know. Um, I couldn't tell you. But there's there's a there's a little indefinable something that will stick out. Um, I think for me, one of the things that was always important was having a CV mm. um, that stood out. So I made mine colourful. I put my cat on there. Um, I had a, a selfie of me outside a polling station to show what a, a good member of society I was. And um, I put some uh, just some 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 clippings of, of, of features I've done. And for me, I just wanted it to look different to all the other CVs that that, um, that people would be getting curiously i seem to get a lot of interviews but then not a lot of jobs but mm. the cv was obviously doing its work uh, and then i was disappointing in person but that's i'm happy to i'm happy to deal with that's something i need to, to need to work on but i think there are lots of different ways that you can that you can you can stand out if you're applying for a job um find out who the hiring person is just send them a, a, a polite email to say i've i've launched my application into the depths of your uh, of your battling hr system but you know um, I would love to be able to meet with you for interview or, or something like that, um, and maybe there are different opportunities, uh, uh, um, events to meet, uh, to meet people, and 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 to to get yourself known that way. And then when someone's putting a job list together, then you stick out in their head, or it's just a name that pops up. Um, I guess there are lots of little things maybe you could do.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I guess is like, I mean they'll talk about bbc and top gear such a big big machine and you, you mentioned that so it's but i'm interested like i guess because you, you mentioned this working on being being disappointing like why did you say that i'm just interested in the fact that you just said like you work on being a disappointing person but clearly you've got to a good point in your career so, so where is that doubt i guess coming from
1: it's not a doubt uh, i genuinely Believe I'm more disappointing in person than my than my CV might have suggested. Uh, I put a lot more effort into producing a distinct CV than than I'm very terrible at preparing for interviews, um, as you may have guessed. But I, I think um, what was I, gonna say? I was I was going to say something fascinating, and I completely it just slipped out of my mind. Uh, I've had so many interviews uh, for different jobs over the years, and that's another thing in terms of having a thick skin. You you have to develop is that you are just sometimes you're not going to be the person they're looking for. Um, hmm. But I've been very fortunate. I may, Maybe I could look at it the other way. My, um, I've, I've I've been fortunate to meet with lots of different people over the years. And um, Jack doesn't even remember this, but he interviewed me for Auto Express back when I was starting out. And um, one of the things he asked me in the interview was what my career goal was. Uh, and I said it was to sit in the House of Lords. And it was just a stupid flippant thing. I would love to sit in the House of Lords uh, if any of the appointments commission are listening in. But um, in his in his email back to me when he was turning me down very graciously, he said that um, perhaps Auto Express wouldn't be the f- best first step on the way to the House of Lords. I think it's a very reasonable thing to say. For whatever reason, I wasn't right for that, for, for that job. And he, it um, completely slipped um, out of his mind. But then he remembered me years later. So something did the trick somewhere. Um, but that's another bit of advice. If someone turns you down for a job and you're very upset about it, still be nice to them because you don't know uh, you don't know what they're going to be hiring for later on.
0: No, it's fantastic. And so, you, I guess you haven't. What is? Is it still the house of Lords And there's that career goals. I'm thinking about the future, for, just for you. Do you have a career, obviously, goals and plans and all this stuff? Like, do you have a sort of an idea of where you want to be in five, ten years? Absolutely not a clue. Um,
1: I don't even know where I'll be in five to ten minutes. Um, I've I, I have absolutely no. Uh, vision <laughs> over my uh, over my life. Um, for me, I guess I oh, don't know how to say it. For me, um I've got this sort of I've always had this philosophy about travelling. But I guess it's just symptomatic of, of my of my entire worldview. It's like if if an opportunity for me if an opportunity comes up to go to a country, I've always decided that I would never say no. I've, mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've travelled to lots of exciting places uh, around the world. I've, you know, I've had lots of fun travelling. Um, but I think t- to me, if I were to set out a strategic vision for myself, then I would be closing myself off to other possibilities. And, um, so for me, being strategic wouldn't be a, a sort of thing to work towards. It would be, uh, focusing in on one particular direction and, and, and not allowing myself the possibility of, of, of others. So I have no idea where it might be in five to 10 years, but hopefully as long as I'm enjoying myself and, and having fun and, and, and being fulfilled, that would be the most important thing to me. Yeah.
0: No, it's funny because there's this thing that like, it's not about the, this is a cliche, but it's not about the, I guess it's not about the destinations, but the journey. And like, if, if you want to, if you want some stuff like that's that's, that's, that's cool. Cool. Like, I guess if, it's interesting. Your view is that if you focus on something, you might miss out on opportunities. Whereas if you just, I guess if you if you pick something but a long way say I'm open to opportunities you might take a bit longer to get to that thing but the, the journey itself might be more interesting
1: I'm absolutely not saying my way is the right way um and it has probably held me back in in lots of respects but um I think for me the'm my brain is very much I don't it's, it's focused on 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 the present um so I don't really tend to think of much about the future or the past. Mm. um so the the sort of the thing i'm experiencing now it's like it's it's for me it's, it feels like it's always been that way so if i'm bored it's like i've been bored my entire life so for me it's just really important that i enjoy what i'm doing and i'm feeling a sense of satisfaction with it um right now yeah i could be more strategic i should be more strategic i'm gonna go do some homework after this <laughs> i think you're right
0: oh i'm not i'm not saying be strategic i'm just i'm just saying like it's interesting because i it's a very different view from what I have. Like, I'm very plan oriented. I'm very sort of like, for instance, the next probably 24 hours, uh, I have a scheduled out and I have different times and things because I can't let myself slip because I'm, I'm terrible for it. Like, if I go on a tangent, I will just, my brain does just scatter. And so I, I find that like giving myself a schedule's interesting. But, uh, but where does this come from then? If this being in the present is important for you, like, is that just a way you've, you've always lived your life? I guess it's just
1: the way that my brain um, is wired. I don't know. Um, I would very much like to, to take your approach. I don't have the um, the organisational uh, ability for it. I'm sure you you will go far uh, with that with that sort of discipline. Um, my diary looks empty. but That's not because it is empty. It's just because I forget to put things in it, and then I get I get told off.
0: I, mean, I I but I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot to be said for living at the moment because like it's something that people might forget if they have my approach. And it's something I do forget is to to like acknowledge where I am and like to be happy with it. And just it's it's weird because almost sometimes I get fed up with it having a constant like sort of I want this, I want that, and it, it seems like I'm almost on a treadmill of just chasing a carrot. So I mean, I, it's stuff that I, I'm I'm listening to you and thinking, oh, I could take that and implement it in my life. So again, it's not the wrong way. There's no there's no right way of living life
1: um yeah i think so i mean i have a very low uh, sort of level uh, of satisfaction i'm probably at my ha- happiest uh, eating chips and and watching a film um so that i mean that very much if if i could see myself anywhere in 5 to 10 years it would be uh, eating chips and watching a film um yeah i can't i can't imagine what Films might look like in ten years. Uh, Tom Cruise will probably still be doing Mission Impossible, and I will be going out to, to, to
0: watch that. Yeah, we'll, we'll be we'll be on um, Fast and Furious twenty-five by them if they get most of those films.
1: <laughs> I must admit, I've not actually watched any of those. Oh, fair enough. I wouldn't bother. It's not it's not very <laughs> top tier of me to admit to that sort of thing.
0: Um, but
1: no, never seen it.
0: I as I, I, you're know, not missing out on much maybe maybe watch number two but apart from that I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't they're not i would not i would not they are not not great I'll look out for that one then is, is it? it fast and fast and furious 2 is that one of helpful? pretty much yes. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I'll Google it I'm sure again yeah, I'm sure Google come on something but um Sam and I we're coming towards the end here but there are sort of like a fast five questions I have towards the end of the podcast um and the first of those being what is your ultimate three-car garage Oh, that's not a fast question. Um, people always
1: ask me, especially this, as soon as I say I'm a, uh, I work on Top Gear Magazine, people ask, like, what's your favorite car? Um, I have absolutely no idea what that would be. Um, just off the it'll this will change in the next uh, three minutes, but it will be a yeah. uh, Citroen 2CV. I would love to have one of those. Um, Lunas is the electric restaurant mod company, and they uh, build a convertible classic Range Rover with an electric powertrain, which I really want. Um and my third thing, oh gosh, what would that be? i would have to have something like a really um sort of dull all rounder, like a BMW five series estate or something. Yeah. That does, yeah that's, that's a cool. terrible three-car carriage. I'm sorry,
0: they'll they'll all get sold within a week. <laughs> they're on they're on eBay already. <laughs> that's that's the thing though, like it's it's not a question. I, I, sorry. I want to cater them. I want to cater them, I'll have a catering. Catering. Yeah. I'm waiting for, to make an electric catering. When that's gonna happen, but um like oh, I was, it
1: would be it would be terrible. It would be a terrible car. A pedal powered Caterham would be better than a, <laughs> an electric one.
0: <laughs> Too I heavy. It's, it's a weird it's a weird question that though, because like, it, like it's one of those things where I said like you, you, the quick questions, but unless you have like a set three cars, it, that question is like trying to pin down three people in a in a crowd of like trying to find three particular people in a, in a crowd of people. Like it's one of those things where you, your brain can't fathom. There's so many cars. You like especially for you if you've looked across all this breadth of knowledge and all these brochures like it's you've got all these ideas and trying to pin them into three like it's, it's a question that most people ask on the playground but I think it's actually got a lot to say for like you as a person your personality is the three cars you picked to have in that garage but that's just that's just the theory I have no now I've got a dreadful personality you thought about it <laughs> no, I think they're pretty good but um, then ne- the next question is if you could drive any car um on any road or track but you know do it once where would you go and what would you take
1: oh wow um last week we um we did a feature for our electric awards issue where we raced around the m25 for 24 hours and um it was it was great fun but what immediately what i think of when you when you tell me that question is that i could drive around the m25 once i would never have to do it again um i wish (laughs) (laughs) uh oh um sorry what so one car one road and then never again
0: yeah, so you get you get to experience one car on any road or track you want, but you can only do it once.
1: Now my brain has imploded. Um, I would do one of the one of the sort of um, Alpine passes, maybe the sort of the Saint Bernard Pass um, in in something. It would be like an uh, an aerial nomad or something awful. Um, you would only want to do that once. I would have to wear thermals and several pairs of gloves, but. Yeah, something crazy on a crazy road like that—that that would be a fun once in a lifetime. It would be the last in a lifetime drive, I would imagine.
0: You'll end up with two hands stuck to the freezing, freezing stuck to the wheel when you pull up to the end of the road.
1: If I if I survived that far, I would be I would be agog. <laughs>
0: uh, the next question is: Is if you could do anything, um, and you might have, you've alluded to this at the beginning of the podcast anyway, but if you could do anything, any job, any vocation. And money wasn't a thing what would you be doing
1: well oh, that's interesting um we had this argument in the office the other week that um we were talking about what we would do if we won the, na- the national lottery and someone said they would stay in their job and then they got uh they got told off by someone else in the office for being selfish you can't <laughs> they said that if you can afford if you can afford not to work uh then you then you should free up that job for someone who needs it um so i would obviously like to be virtuous and say um I would work for Top magazine if I could do anything, and money wasn't an issue. I'd be a stand-up comic. I think that would be um,
0: that would be fun. Have you ever tried it?
1: Tried it a little bit. Um, not good enough to to do it properly. Why not? Well, I think people need to laugh uh, several times in succession for it to be considered done properly.
0: Um, I, I could work on that. Yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, it's just an interesting question because it brings out sort of like your innermost. Is because it's a question I think because the podcast is so deeply rooted in people's careers. Like it's one of those things where I love someone on who thinks they're a diehard in like what they do, and then I ask that question, and they say gardening, and it's like well, go be a gardener then because if you <laughs> if you if you love gardening that much, like go do that. And it's it's the question. That I it seems pretty face value, but then I, I look at it and it gets a bit deeper, and it's like well, if you want to be a up comic, if you like, if you could do it without, and the money wasn't an object, clearly it's something that you. You know passion for it, something you want to do
1: well i enjoy i enjoy writing uh, funny yeah. stuff in top gear magazine i don't know whether people find it funny that would be the challenge if you can find the bits that i think are funny uh in the magazine let's we'll see
0: whether we agree yeah, i guess it gives you, you you might be a, you sound like a comic in your own like hundreds of thousands of people might laugh at your jokes in the magazine but you never get to see that
1: that's true it would be nice to have the instantaneous feedback of watching people read top gear magazine it would it would be I imagine ultimately soul destroying and um, watching them skip over the things you've slaved over, but
0: it would be nice. The occasional giggle might give you a boost of confidence. Um But yeah. And the next, the next question is like, if you could give a piece of advice to a younger you or someone that wants to pursue something with their passion, like what would that advice be that you'd give them? Oh gosh,
1: that's another, that, um if I give it an advice, um, I don't know. I think what's been really valuable to me is having a life outside of my career. And I see lots of people around me who get very wrapped up in the success or failure of their career. I don't necessarily mean in in automotive journalism, but uh, every, their identity is wrapped up in, in, in that job. So I think for me, uh, where I've come unstuck in the past is where my identity has been wrapped up too much in my job. So I think build up a a good community around you of, of, of supportive people or people who just aren't to do with what you do um is is, is really useful so that would be that would be my advice it's just to just build up build up something that's not work around you
0: yeah i guess it's like a, it's almost like a support network for if work doesn't work in a way we're not a support network but you've got almost, you're almost you, you if you're not attached to one thing and like your identity isn't built in that one thing if that one thing then like you could lose a mm-hmm. job in an instance I mean, it's it's quite funny because if you if your identity is then your job you you're effectively you're nothing because you don't have a job
1: so but even then even yeah even if you just have a bad day and it it becomes something catastrophic because everything's invested in it um but if you can have a bad day and then switch off and go and do something else, then you will become a much richer person for it i think
0: yeah fantastic and then the last question sam is is what do you love most about cars
1: I love much oh gosh there's
0: just a, a a succession of zingers on, on
1: this podcast what do i love about most about cars i think for me the freedom they represent and that's something i've always felt since i, I was young the fact that there's a, there's a certain amount of power you get from being in control um of of any machine like that i got to i got to play around with a digger once and that was amazing um not very fast though. Uh, so for me, the freedom, the, the the ability just to be somewhere else, um, mm-hmm. that was one of the unfortunate things about driving around the M25 for twenty four hours is that we ended up in literally the same place, and that was quite disheartening. Um, and, and South Nim services, it is not the sort of place you want to be after twenty four hours of driving I out. I had visions of the south of France, or we could have got to um, you know the, the Adriatic in twenty four
0: hours, maybe. But it's the, the fact that cars take you somewhere. I really like that about them. That's you've you've inspired me to to now do that. It's something that I now want to do. You put that on my bucket list. Is doing twenty four hours at the M twenty five. I think that'd be. I could not um, not recommend it enough. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, Sam! Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's a, it's a pleasure to um, to learn a bit more about you and your journey, and sort of hopefully it gives someone that wants to be a journalist or an editor or whatever um, an idea of how to do it or or why not to do it. So so thank you.
1: Oh, thank you very much for having me and i would yeah encourage people if they are wanting to get into automation journalism or anything like that just give it a try um, and if it doesn't work it doesn't work but i think it's it's really important that we get more people and more diverse voices into the industry
0: hey i wanted to ask a massive favor of you 80 percent of you who listen to the podcast regularly don't follow it If I could ask you just to hit follow wherever you listen, I would really appreciate it. It's an excellent way for us to get bigger and better guests and the ability to grow the community beyond anything we could imagine. It also helps the podcast grow more than you could ever know. So thank you.